<laughs> I forgot. This is one, this is not one of those that we read together. He's going to go ahead and have a seat. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to read the entire book of James together standing. That's not a, that's not what we're doing this morning. So we are going to be talking about the book of James here this morning because in our in our time period here in the in the Bible, this is what, so we got to the introduction to Galatians when we read that together on Wednesday um, together, and so um, <clears throat> we. Uh, um, so last week was kind of introducing the, the basically like two year period where we're at in the book of Acts. So Acts, like we said, we're using the book of Acts as an outline for the timeline of a chronological reading of the New Testament. So we're reading the New Testament scriptures of the early church after Christ, as after Jesus has ascended into heaven and now the church is begun. The, the church is birthed. Uh, the new covenant people, the new covenant is established and then he goes to be with his father in heaven and leaves the Holy Spirit for the church, you know, go, goes and joins the continuing, you know, if, if the book of Luke's could be the, you know, the book of Jesus, this could be the book of Jesus part two through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is still leading his church and guiding his church and leading us to the father, but now through the Holy Spirit. And so we're using the book of Acts as a timeline but we're studying basically the first 30 years or 40 years that changed the world uh, through the early church. So we're going to go up to about the time of 100 A.D. And so this morning, as we get as we get going into our our uh, teaching this morning, we're in a two year period between Paul's missionary journeys, between chapters. Uh, so we are so we just got done reading the book of Galatians because the Judaizers were sent to Galatia. And they were disrupting the Gentile believers. But now we also have this kind of other dichotomy where the Jewish believers are now starting to go and flee to the world. They're like, hey, we're saved by grace, so now we can do whatever we want. And by do anything, we mean don't do anything. We're going to completely write off everything of our people, the Jewish culture, and just live like the world. And so James, because there's a confusion in the church now, because now the Jewish believers are trying to navigate what does this life look like, being free in Christ, the old covenant being fulfilled, and us living our lives as Jewish believers, as Christians, as saints, but we're also under the Jewish covenant. We're under the Jewish people, we're Jewish nation and everything. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But it's interesting to see these two books that were written in this time period of Galatians and the book of James that are so, they seemingly look contradictory, right? Galatians is like, don't, you know, stop doing everything, stop living by the law. And now we have James that's like works-based, you know, actions and, and do this and do that. I will show you my, my faith by what I do. You know, it's, you know, so we know it's not just by faith that we are saved, right? Versus Galatians is like, by faith you are saved and only by faith. So they seem weird and kind of like they're at, in conflict with each other. So this is the great battle that's been raging for almost 2,000 years. Faith versus works. You know, we have, <clears throat> you know, what is faith or what is works? That's what people have been trying to define and to figure out, especially when you put these two books right next to each other. They're like, ah, these seem like they're, you know, in, in, in conflict. And that's where we get churches that are more like on the liberal side, the licentiousness type side. 
where God doesn't really care what you do. God even doesn't even care what you preach. Whether you preach God or Jesus or the Bible or Gandhi or this or that, you know, this new age teacher or this guy. On the other side, you've got the legalistic churches. All the way down here, it's like everything is about what you do. <clears throat> whether it's conservative, you know, whether it's like, you know, Baptist or Pentecostal, it's all about the, the works and keeping a short account with God. Kind of reigning in your sin. And you're basically like your life becomes about sin management. Legalism. And so, so this is where we're, you know, can we be both and yet neither? <laughs> is there a third way that we have, don't have to choose between licentiousness or legalism? What is the avenue of grace through faith that works itself out in love? So, so because seemingly like, you know, James's point with about works is do them. And you know, it seems like the, Paul, the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians is saying, don't be defined by them, in essence, or don't be controlled by them. But here, here's the point uh, that I think that, uh, that both James and Paul coming together, which we're going to talk about next, you know, in, in the, you know, the first week of, of November, when we get to Acts chapter 15 and the great Jerusalem council, is this is the point that they would agree and come together on, is that what we do does not determine who we are. Who we are determines what we do. So put that, write, write those words on, in on your note sheet there. What we do does not determine who we are. Who we are determines what we do. So let's talk about James. <clears throat> so, the book of James was written around AD 49 or so. Um, this is right around, this is right around that, that break, that split area in there um, from Jerusalem. But here's the, here's the big context. Here's the, the biggest lens that we need to put on when we're reading the book of James. Here it is. Ready for this? The very first line, kind of right there in the book of James... This book was written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, or what's called the diaspora. So since the end of the second temple, well, really, especially in the north, you have what's called the dispersion. And that's wherever, whenever the people have been come in and been exiled, been dispersed all across the world, which is what happened in the 8th century B.C., when the Assyrian, I'm sorry, when the yeah, Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom, scattered the ten tribes that were in the north, and then in the sixth uh, century, when there or the fifth century, when uh, the Babylonians came in and took over Judah and the southern kingdom and exiled them and dispersed them, right? And they took a lot, you know, the, the most of, most of them over to Persia area, um, and then. And then, then it became per- Persia. Then people were able to return back to Jerusalem. But from this time on, you have this dispersion of Jewish people all over the, the you know the known world at the time. And so right now you've got you know and the, there are Jews in like look at the Book of Acts, the, the very Acts chapter two. All those different nations, all those different peoples, you know, all the different cities that it talks about. Let's let's look at a few of those. Just look at that. Uh, here we go. Um, 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent, magnificent acts of God. So this is people all over the world. You can go back in your folders to that, that sermon back in Acts chapter 2. One, one of the sermons, <laughs> I think from December of last year. But where we see that there are Jewish people all over the world. And now because of Acts 2, because of Pentecost, they were all sent back to those regions of the world. So now you have all these churches that are planted all over the world in Jewish, in Jewish quarters. And it, the gospel is taking root with, among the Jews. And so this is the audience of James. Galatians is written to Gentiles. James is written to Jews. This is one of the, these are two of the books that we can see in the scriptures that are written to specific groups. Later on, we'll see like Romans and Corinthians were, are written to churches that are mixed. And most of those letters are basically like kind of you know, playing, playing a you know, referee <laughs> between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles who are in the same church together. But in these two books, we, we can read them and have to under, understand this has to be the lens through which we read them is that Galatians was written to Gentiles who these Judaizers were trying to put under the law. He's saying, no. James is trying to say these people are trying to put themselves under the world. And he's saying, no. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. So we have to read it through that lens. Is it for us? Yes. Can we read it and, and glean circumcision or uh, circumcision? <laughs> I was thinking like circumstances. And, uh, wow. Yeah, circumstance. It was a circumstance. Oh, cut it out. Hey. Oh, <laughs> oh, give me some great tips on preaching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so well, can we read it can we apply it can we see it absolutely in the same way that we can read all of the old testament and glean god's glory glean glory in the same way that the old testament was about the promises and the and the god's relationship with the jewish nation we can read the, the book of james in that light this was written to jewish people for a specific purpose, and we can glean from it, though it may not have been written to us. Like I said, the Bible's not written to you. It's not a lo- like a love letter that God wrote to you. I mean, I've, I've you know, heard that. I've even preached that before. Like, God, oh, the Bible is God's love letter to you. No, no, no. God, the Bible is all about the glories of our God. Mm-hmm. The Bible is all about Him and His relationship with people. And we have to understand, you know, it's like, it's the, I love the word you know ch- uh, chastity. <laughs> you know, we oftentimes we think, oh, like a chastity belt, uh, like something like that. You know, when it talks about like sexuality, but chastity, it, the word itself means right relationship, Good. and that's why they use chastity to to talk about sexual you know um, relationships. But chastity simply means right relationship. So we need to read the Bible, understand through the lens of how, of of having a right relationship with God. What does that relationship look like with us through the lens of Scripture? Um, so, so let's look at that. So this is also, remember, 
This is pre-AD 70. Now, let's go back a little bit just as a reminder of what happened in AD 70. AD 70 was the fall of everything Jewish. The complete and utter annihilation of Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, AD 70, the, yeah, after uh, Antony Domini. Yeah, but after, after zero. <laughs> um, so you have AD 70, which is where the Romans come in and completely annihilate everything in Israel, Jewish, Judah, in Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. The people are I mean, murdered, you know, killed by the millions. In one day, a million people fell. A million people died in Jerusalem. And then they tra- tracked the rest of them over to Masada. You saw my Facebook page about Masada. That was the last stronghold of the Jewish people and the, and the priests and, and the Sadducees, and they were completely annihilated. They all killed themselves so they wouldn't be slaves of the Romans. The Jewish nation was done. Israel was no more. But at the time of the, of the writing of the book of James, we're talking like everything is still there. Like they're still under the law of Moses as the temple was still standing. The Sanhedrin was still governing the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation was still fully operational. And so James was written to a pre-70 8070 80, Jewish world where messianic Jews were trying to still figure out how to navigate under a messianic fulfillment to the older first covenant of Abraham and Moses and worship Jesus at the same time. How can they still go to synagogue and practice everything Jewish of their culture and their traditions and yet still and, and now worship Jesus as the fulfillment to the, to the covenant? James wrote to the churches to help these Messianic Jews navigate the dichotomy of faith and holy living. His style is very rabbinic in nature, so he's, he's speaking like a rabbi here, using Hebrew idioms and that you know, sometimes get kind of muddled or lost in translation. So well, let's talk about that. So this is where we get a big word here or called mitzvah or mitzvot. That's the plural. So if ever you hear a a Jewish word and it ends with ot or im, like Elohim. So im is a a plural and ot is plural as well. So mitzvah is singular or mitzvot. So good work or good works. That word is like actions or works can be understood um, in James by this word, mitzvah or mitzvot. Doing the things or the traditions of their culture and faith. So these are things like observing Shabbat, Sabbath, going to the synagogue and the temple, saying prayers. If you've been to a Passover Seder and the different things, like you can like light a candle, that's a mitzvah. You do a bar mitzvah, right? When the coming of age of a boy or a bat mitzvah with the coming of age with a, with a girl who's 12. And so all these things are just simply actions that they do because of their faith through the tradition. is the tradition of what they do. It's like Baptists. You're like, potlucks, that's a mitzvah. That's a Baptist mitzvah. <laughs> you know. And so he's, so he's basically work. So what does this mean, mitzvah or good works? Works are simply doing godly things. That's it. 
doing godly things. It takes a whole lot of the weirdness out of it, doesn't it? Out of the whole lot of the, you know, even like the legalistic or licentious like perceptions. If it all it is is doing godly things, let's, let's do it. And I can totally understand like why James might be getting a little miffed here. Because people are not doing godly things. Who should be doing godly things? Not just because they're a believer, but because they're also a Jew. They're part of God's people, and they're also a part of God's people. So if anyone should be doing good, godly things, it should be them. So doing, God, so doing godly things as we walk by the Spirit and read His Word to know the nature and character of God and live the way that He lived and taught us how to live in and through Jesus Christ. That's what this means. That's what works are. That's what mitzvah for us and our understanding we can see. So what are some of these mitzvahs? What are these, some of these mitzvot <clears throat> that Gentiles, that us, are welcomed into? <clears throat> Yet not required. But it's, it's like we're welcomed into the new culture of godly things. What are some godly things that Paul would be teaching that, that we should walk in? Things like Sabbath. Take a break. Rest is how God designed us. I mean, I love that. It's like, because even the, in the Old Covenant, in the, where it talks about the Ten Commandments, it says, for this was a given to man. Jesus even said, you know, Sabbath was for man. Not, you know, it was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift. It's not a, do this. It's a, hey, do this. You'll experience life. You'll experience breath and, a, and rest and joy and we all need a break. Take a break. Ebenezer, what are some of the other things that we are welcomed into? The festivals. And these are some of the, the, the and that's the thing like about the festivals is that we can see Paul talking about them later on to the Gentile churches. Talking about using the, the, the Passover as an illustration even for the Gentiles. And so the things that he would teach is that he would welcome them and teach them how to celebrate the, the Jewish, the, you know, the, the festivals themselves. But it wasn't like a, hey, you guys have to all now go to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. He said, this is what this festival is all about. This is what it celebrates. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Well, it wouldn't have made sense to a Gentile church unless Paul had actually taught them what a Passover was. And so teaching them how to observe these things, not because of law or anything like that, but because it was a welcoming in. It was also kind of a, a respite and a rescue from their own pagan culture and, and festivals. I mean, because think about it, like we talked about uh, what, a few weeks ago in, um, in, in what is it, Lystra, where they were confused for gods. And they had the festivals and the temple and the, the wreaths and the sacrifices to Zeus. Right? They had their festivals that governed their calendars and their schedules and their yearly and annual routines. But they were pagan. They were broken. They were dark. They worshipped and honored the gods of the age. And so Paul came in and he gave them a new set. He's like, hey, you don't have to participate in, in that garbage anymore. Come and celebrate Yahweh. Come and celebrate Jesus. And let me teach you how to do it. Not as a, you know, like a law and requirement. It's a joy. He's welcoming them into a new joy. Teaching them the prayers. Teaching them how to pray. 
and then teaching them uh, some of the, you know, a lot of the prayers. Music, right? They didn't have the, they didn't have CCM or you know or Four Six United back then. They had to kind of write the you know new songs all together, which the the New Testament's packed full of, which we'll get to later. But they also had they also had songs that worshipped and glorified God already. And they were and so they were teaching them these things. Scripture and God and the history of God's people. Because this is the way in which they showed these new Gentile believers the Jewish legacy and promises are not um, just for the Jews. They are now legacy and history that they are being that they are now a part of. These Gentile Christians now have a rich, beautiful history that is that they are now a part of because they are now associated with Jesus Christ. And this is submission to God and receiving his blessings. Like we talked about at the very beginning of our of our gathering. That the the pagans worshipped in order to receive, in order to try to change the gods' minds, in order to get you know uh, fertility and and uh, and and uh, crops and whatever they wanted, strength and power or or whatever it is. Like they would worship these gods and sacrifice to their gods in hopes of receiving the blessing, in hopes of receiving a reward from them, right? And this is what the the, the word penance was translated into the word penance means that in in the in the in the original latin it was the greek the word that jerome used to translate and became an english word penance which is where we get the english word repentance which is why the word metanoia doesn't mean to like offer sacrifice and say i'm sorry for your sins it is to change your mind He's inviting us into a submission to God. And that word is not to offer sacrifice in order to maybe get the benefits from the, from the deity. He's saying, now you're worshiping a God who already loves you. He's the only God that loves you. Those gods don't love you. They'll use you. But this God, our God, Yahweh, Jesus loves you. And when you come and you submit to him as Lord and Savior, he wants to bless you. He wants to be your protector. He wants to be your flourish, to flourish you. He wants your life to be whole. He wants, he doesn't want your life to be broken. He's drawing you close and drawing you close. So as you metanoia, as you change your mind, what it is, is you are abandoning the old ways that you used to think, the stinking thinking from this world, from your past, from, from maybe the, your childhood, the way you were raised, from the way that the world influenced you, your friends and your family told you, know, told you and taught you that were wrong. And you're learning God's way. You're learning the way that God thinks. And you're metanoia, you're abandoning your old thoughts, you're changing your mind and agreeing and coming into alignment with Him. Because of his spirit and because of his word. And that's where they're being joined into this new faith where they don't have to go and offer sacrifices. In fact, God gave the sacrifice once and for all. So that what we do would be anointed 
as good. And so let's look at a kind of a breakdown of, of James here. So I'm going to keep going back to this slide as we interject with, with Scripture. Um, so, <coughs> so one, so the problems, you know, with you know, the trials and rejection, the pro- that's what the, he's, you know, James is, is approaching the problem. What is the problem going on that he, that the reason why he's having to write this, this book, right, having to write this letter is because there's a problem. And the problem is that they're having, that they're facing trials. They're being rejected by the culture. They're being rejected by the world. And they're suffering. But a lot of it's also, also you're being rejected. You're facing trials because you're doing stupid things. Stop doing stupid things. You reap what you sow. You do something, there's a reaction. Right? Like, I lift this cup and the coffee goes with it. And the coffee then goes down my gullet. <laughs> but it's that, like this, you go and do something and bad consequences happen. So you're suffering because you're causing your own suffering. You are being lured and enticed. You're giving yourself over to the, to the ways of the world by rejecting the ways that God, that you, rejecting your godly ways that you were taught from childhood. And so this is, you know, consider it a great joy. This is James chapter 1, if it'll go. There it goes. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, not the struggles and rejection that they're causing themselves by going into sin, but he said when you, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I want to stop here and go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. This is true whether you do something good or do something stupid. If you're willing to learn. So I can still consider great joy when I do something stupid. Not because I get stupid consequences, but because what? The testing of my faith produces endurance. So I do something stupid. If I learn from it, it'll help me to change my mind for the next time and not do the same stupid thing. That's God is inviting you into change, into transformation, to stop doing the same stupid things that keep yielding the stupid results. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. Do something new. Do something godly. Number two, chapter chapter two is favoritism and faith. What we do shows who we are. And he goes into a whole concept and in using Abraham as a justification. That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But he said this as as a way of kind of drawing these, these two concepts together is that he says, you see that faith was active together in Abraham's works. And by works, faith was made complete. So we believe something, we think something, and then we do it. If it doesn't come from faith, it's not good. If it comes from sin, it produces evil. If it, produce, if it comes from faith, it produces good. Goodness and shalom, peace, flourishing. 
Number three, he talks about controlling your tongue. It is the great revealer of the heart. And I love the, this, this one, this passage. This is, uh, this is three, chapter three, verse 10. He said, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So his point from chapter three is basically get it in check, guys. <laughs> like br- bring it back, reel it back in. Reel it back in because your tongue reveals who you are, reveals your faith or the lack thereof. And then you have chapter four is be different. Be weird. Yeah. See, he agrees with me. With me. <laughs> be weird. You know, rely on God. God you know, so he's saying, you know, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the, the latter part at the very, at the very end of the chapter. Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this. We will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. And so that's what that's his point is, is to reel it in, rely on God. Again, putting yourself under the under his provision, under his protection, under his lordship. He's saying, remember, let the Lord Yahweh, let Jesus be our God, because God, Jesus leads us to the father. And his Holy Spirit leads us to the Father. And so, be different. Be weird. Rely on God. Don't try to rely on the works of your hands or your ability to accomplish something to either protect or defend yourself or to bring flourishing to your lives. Everything good that we have, everything comes down from the Father of lights. Comes down from Jesus. And number five, live... A, a.k.a. do or walk by faith. This is where he gets to in, in uh, the end of, of James chapter 5, the end of, his, end of his letter. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should pray, sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being, so uh, as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave the rain, and the land produced its fruit. These are examples of works. Pray. Versus doing nothing. Because sometimes it's not just simply by committing something or doing something, but oftentimes it's because they weren't doing anything in the first place. My question is, what does your prayer life look like? Mine stinks. I'll just put that out there. Full confession. And this is my confessing it so that I can be healed, right? I want a better prayer life. <laughs> I want a more consistent prayer life. I want a faithful prayer life. I think all of us want to. 
So pray. That's the thing. Pray. If anyone is suffering, pray. If you're suffering, don't just suffer. Don't just sit there and take medicine. Pray. That should be the first thing we do. Before we put a band-aid on anything, before we take, you know, shove a, a pill down our gullet, before even the essential oils, I know. Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. Throw on air, you know, what is it, air, air one? The one? Or the 99.1, the one? Or throw on your favorite, you know, title playlist or your favorite Spotify playlist. Sing praises. Things are going well. Sing praises. If anyone going bad, sing praises. Yeah, yeah. I'm, one of my new favorite songs is is uh, "Blessing." Right on my on my best days, I'm a child of God. On my worst days, I'm a child of God. Every day is a good day. You're the reason why. Love my love that song. Right? Is anyone sick? He should call for the elders of the church. This is a work. This is a mitzvah. Do this good thing. Call the elders of the church or, you know, to come and anoint with oil and pray over you. Do the holy things. Do the good things. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Why? Not because God hasn't forgiven you of that, that stupidity. Because He wants your healing. And one of the most healing parts is bringing the junk into the light so that it's not festering in there. Even the darkest things so that you can receive grace from your brothers and sisters through the powering of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing. What we do is a manifestation of what we truly believe. So it's like, how do we live our every single day lives? How do we go about doing what we do? Do we pray? But also, is what we do good? Is how we live our lives and how we do the things in our lives good? How's your driving? Are you a jerk behind the wheel? (laughs) Do you give the finger? Do you cut people off? Do you get enraged when other people are driving stupid? I remember all the different colorful, non-cursing words that my dad would say when I grew up, was, dri- you know, was growing up driving in L.A. You know, this Texan guy now driving in L.A. <laughs> all the, the fun words that he made up. But do you speed? Oh, it's only four over. Do you speed? I tell you what, it has changed my entire life's conscience as soon as I stopped speeding. Like I set that sucker right at the speed limit, you know. Because for my conscience, then I don't have to worry about looking around and seeing if there's a cop nearby, even just going four miles over. I don't have to worry about it. What kind of customer are you? Do you tip? Okay, not everywhere. Like everyone and their mom is like asking for tips nowadays. I'm like, no, I'm not giving you a tip. You just you took my order at a register. You, you get paid. I'm not tipping you. <laughs> it's at the grocery store. No, I'm not going to tip you for scanning my groceries. I'll do that myself at Walmart. Thank you. <laughs> and self checkout. <laughs> 
Yes, and everything. Praise God. There you go. Amen. There's your tip for the day. But here, here's the question. I mean, do you serve your server? Well, no, that's their job. No, it's your job. Our job is as Christians, as believers, is to serve. Is not to be served, but to serve. Do you pile the, 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 you know, the stuff together? Do you put all of your trash in a pile? Do you stack your drinks? Do you, do you make their job easier so they can serve the next customer better? So they're not stressed out because they have to clean up your mess. Are you a Karen at Target? Are you the person coming to Target and making her day horrible? Or are you a Chad? That's the, you know, that's the man version of it. <laughs> do you offer to pray for your server? I mean, I don't do it every time, but like I've done it in the past and it's, it's really cool. Do that today. When you go out to lunch today, go, go ask your server, hey, we're about to pray for our, for our food. Can we pray for you somehow? How can we pray for you today? And so many times, I've never had one, I don't know, I may have had one person that's like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like most of the time, every time they're like, I'll oh, pray for this. And sometimes, man, I've got people that are, they're just like in tears because there's something heavy in their life. Offer to pray for your server. What is your work ethic like? Are you one of the typical American workers that tries to work as little as possible in order to get paid the max amount of possible? Do you have an attitude of service? Here's that word again, service. Are you serving your boss by working for him or her? Are you serving your boss, your job? Are you serving your coworkers? Do you have an attitude of serving your customers? Then asking ourselves, because these, these are the things that we're talking about. How we live our lives demonstrates who we worship. Do your actions in this world cause suffering for yourself or for you to say, oh, that was stupid. Do your actions cause those around you to suffer or to mourn because of your actions? Do your inactions cause you to suffer or to go, oh, Do your inactions cause suffering for others around you? Because again, I say, our actions don't define who we are. They point out where we are walking, maybe in right or wrong thinking. That's sin. And what parts of the image of Christ we need to focus on. So that... We are not, as, as it says in Romans chapter you know, 12, being conformed to this age, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will, the, the perfect will of God. Because here's the thing about, you know, about our world and, and things like that, and religion... Right, religion says this and our world says this, is that you need to focus on your actions. You need to change your change what you're doing. Stop getting drunk. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. Stop you know doing that. They they look at the actions. You need to start doing this. Start doing that. You need to add this to your routine and do all these things. 
we don't need to change the actions is the specific thing I'm talking about. It's not, we don't, we're not focusing on the symptoms. The actions are the symptoms. We don't treat the symptoms. But we see them as areas that let us know where we need to focus on Christ and our true identity in Him. Because Christianity is not a behavior modification faith. I mean, that, that's how, I mean, honestly, that's what American Christianity has been for so long is a, you send your kids to church to get them right. You, you, you left church years ago, but you're sending your kids back to VBS or youth group to, for the youth pastor to, to fix. That was my world for 15, 20 years. Parents didn't go to church, but their kids at least did. But they remember, I remember them coming back to church, you know, sending their kids to VBS, because I remember going as, when they were a kid. But the whole thing was, why do they keep doing what they're doing? Because they keep focusing on what they're doing. Versus how can we change the heart? How can we change the mind? How can we form their beliefs into right beliefs about Christ, about who they are in Him? <clears throat> because it, it starts, it's, it's in the mind. And where hurt and where shame and where guilt are being poured into because we're defined by everyone else by what we do, because all they can see, then the shame and the guilt are being screamed into our brains. And we learn what to do and what not to do based upon whether we're shamed or praised. That's most of modern day parenting. I'm in there. I either shame my kid for, the, for doing the wrong thing or praise them for doing the right thing. But don't let shame scream where God wants to whisper. Listen for that still small voice. Go and seek him in his presence. Learn to hear his voice. Because that's the thing. We don't need a law or a written code to live a holy and faithful and powerful life. We need a closer walk with Jesus. We need to hear his voice and learn to hear his voice. Learn to experience his presence. Because <clears throat> a reminder, we, what we do does not determine who we are. Who we are determines what we do. Here's the thing, though, guys. If we're, if we, if we're following Jesus, but we aren't growing, we aren't being inspired to change and mature and be empowered to live a life of powerful submission to Jesus, if we, don't, if we all we see is the same old, same old, we may not be following Jesus. Or it may not be Jesus that we're following. If our lives look more like the influences or influencers on TikTok and Instagram than Jesus, okay, and Facebook for you old people. <clears throat> if your lives look more like the influencers and not like Jesus, we're following the wrong Jesus. So what do we do with James? So what, what, do, we, what do we do with James? 
as Gentiles, because I don't think there's any Jewish people in here, right? No one, right? What do we as Gentiles do with James? We, well, the first thing, number A, you know, number A, <laughs> we don't try to live like Jews. Especially modern day interpretations of what Jewish means. Modern day Jewish traditions are not what they were in antiquity, like 2,000 years ago. As it has changed, as Christianity has changed over 2,000 years, so has Judaism as well. But B, number B, uh, (laughs) remember Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman. A time is coming and is now here when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. A time is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That is what our faith is all about. Spirit and truth. And Paul's teachings or writings in the letters of Romans and Corinthians will speak a lot more about about the relationship and expectations between Jewish and Gentile believers. So in this first kind of experiment, we're well, not experiment, but, uh, but uh, Revelation, we're seeing the Galatians, which is written mainly to Gentiles, and we're seeing a letter that is written mainly to Jews. And many of the, of the further letters down the road will be to both. And so that's where, I, where, we, where we're going to see the continuation of, as the church progresses, the church is going to navigate this problem. It's going to navigate how do you balance Jewish believers and Gentile believers who, are, who have different expectations, but how can we still come together as one and glorify God and honor him by what we do? We are already saved. We are in the kingdom. We are, our faith is, is how we are saved. And our mitzvahs, what we do in the rest of our lives, is the outpouring of who we are. Because who we are determines what we do. And so there lies where we, where we work from, where we live from. We live from the presence of God, not in order to get or accomplish the, grace, the, the presence of God. We don't have to like fix ourselves up and clean ourselves up in order to be worthy to go before God. He says, come before the presence of God. Come before the throne room of grace with confidence. You go there, you don't clean yourself up to go there. You go there to, clean, to, to help clean your conscience and to help learn and to grow so that then what you do the next day is even better. And, even, and the next day is even better. And the next day is even better. Our life is about growing up and maturing, shifting our thinking, changing our lives, and seeing more and more of the outpouring of God's presence through everything that we do every single day. In our lives, in our work, in our marriages, in our families, God wants to redeem and to grow every single part. Because who you are and whose you are determines what we do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for James. And I, uh, I pray right now as we, um, as we discuss and as we take communion, God, that you would show yourself to be present with us. And Lord, show us that one thing that you know that you want to teach us today. How can we walk out of this room different just simply by a new understanding of certain thing that you've changed a specific thing in our minds so that we can live different even the rest of today. That we can live a, a newer, a new life even starting today. 
change us, God. Transform our lives. Transform, renew our, our minds by the transformation. Transform our lives by the renewing of our thinking, God. And draw us closer to one another as we worship and as we live our lives. Help us to draw near one another in relationship as we draw close to you to be in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.